This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Over Under Movies, the podcast where we choose one overrated movie and one underrated movie, connected by theme, story, or however else we want to do that, and we discuss them. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Akte Age Kozak. And this podcast is, of course, brought to you by The Playlist. We are now uh, on The Playlist podcast iTunes feed, and we're also uh, posting these on The Playlist blog, uh, part of the IndieWire blog network, so... Uh, with that, why don't we dive into our episode that I'm titling, I'm subtitling it, guys, as um, The Kid Dies in the Picture and the Parents Fall Apart. That's how we connect these movies. And um, before we dive into our overrated pick, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, these being Octay's picks, um, Octay, I kind of, um, I guess I, I should have known I had seen both of these movies beforehand, um, but I didn't realize how connected these movies really yeah. are. Uh, beyond, I didn't beyond, either until I know, watched them back to back. Really, right? They really fit well as a pairing. Um, but of course, uh, it, I think be, beyond the, uh, uh, the the opening with the where the, where parents, you know, where a child dies and the parent just goes through like the the basic, you know, there's a lot more other connections as well. There really is, and both the movies have uh, a sort of hallucinatory, stylistic uh, conceit. Um, one, uh, my fellow co-hosts here, uh, uh, like a lot less than, the, than the other, but, um, why don't we just dive right in? Octay, uh, your overrated pick is the 2009 Lars von Trier film, Antichrist. It's not a disease. It's a natural, healthy reaction. You can't just remove it. You mustn't. Wayne knows you're a therapist. He says you shouldn't treat your own family. In principle, I agree, but... But you're just so much smarter. I love you. Nothing hurts more than to see the one that you love subjected to mistakes and wrongs. And I guess just to start, um, uh, why did you choose this film? I know you hate it. Why is that? And also, <laughs> um, why do you find it un- overrated? Well, um, uh well first of all get your earplugs ready because this this shit's about to get a little intense Here uh, comes. <laughs> Here comes. but uh yeah I, I found it to be overrated uh basically because i mean this was a film that like i don't know how much box office it made i, I guess it did pretty well for like a uh art house flick made by a notorious you know art house director uh but mainly you know it, it did get like kind of mixed reviews some people loved it some people hated it it's 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 one of those overrated picks um like like Ryan it, it, in one of the episodes picked like the Fault in Our Stars, which wasn't like it was kind of a big hit, I guess, but which wasn't like really loved by critics. But just the uh, but his point was then then we discussed that. But the, his point was like, how could anyone even remotely like something that's this terrible? 
So I, I guess I guess that's where I'm coming from from the overrated perspective. It's just like I think if if Lars von Trier's name wasn't attached to this film, and if it was like you found out that uh, it was made by a first-time director straight out of film school, would you have approached it with the same kind of admiration? It would have been impressive visually for sure, but it, it would you would definitely be you would definitely be like, oh yeah, that looks like a movie from. Uh, you know, a pretentious uh, film student straight out of film school. But I would just like to basically uh, start off by saying uh, fuck Lars von Trier. Uh, fuck him in his pretentious Danish Hitler-loving asshole. Um, mm. And the guy I'm basically talking about is the um, the post-2000-2001 von Trier. Uh, mm. I've always found his abrasive style that's a bit narcissistic and self-indulgent a little bit jarring he was never like really he was he was far from like being like my favorite art house auteur or anything like that but uh i found uh so much more value in the films that he made in the 80s and 90s uh i think uh breaking the waves is still by far his best film uh by mm -hmm. a long shot uh i'm a big fan of the kingdom uh it's a, it's a tv show yes. it's like a horror stephen king style tv show which stephen king remade <laughs> you know there you go uh tv show yeah. about like ghosts in a hospital that is like really it just shows like his 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 weird like jump cut uh handheld uh ultra grainy style like works really well with like a straight genre ghost story basically and i'm, I'm a big fan of that show um it's, it's and pretty, it's funny it shows it's, his it's, sense of yeah, humor i think it, it's it's funny it's accessible it's you know and i'm not saying like it's like oh it's I like it because it's accessible. I, I I feel like his style like fit that tone the best for me. But I, I like his you know I, I like his eighties and nineties really like cerebral um, art house stuff as well, like Breaking the Waves in Europa and all that stuff. But um, I feel like starting around two thousand, I would say around like Dancer in the Dark and then going into Dogtooth and not not Dogtooth, sorry, uh, Dogville. Yeah. Uh, he did become like. What I would call, and uh, you guys are gonna like groan at this, but um, let me explain that. He, he, he uh, to me, he kind of became the Michael Bay of art house cinema. That he, he became ex extremely, he became this director who's 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 like kind of like cynically presenting his audience pretty much exactly what they would expect in a in a, in a kind of narcissistic and self indulgent way. Of like he became he started making like almost films that could pass as like art house movie parodies almost and uh, mm. uh, it's it's not uh, you know that's apparent I feel I think in Dogville and Melancholia and especially Nymphomaniac which is a film that I know even you Eric don't like um, I hate that one yeah yeah, yeah and uh, but it but it's not as out there it's not as uh, in your face as it is in uh, Antichrist which I find it to be narratively and technically a mess on top of all the deplorable things it says uh sociopolitically or, or socially and thematically uh which we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get I, I feel like we should get into that a little bit later let's just i, I feel like mm. we should focus first on my frustrations with it you know simply on narrative terms uh this is a film that um uh, Lars von Trier made uh around the time that he was struggling with uh really heavy depression in a way mm -hmm. that kind of like uh, almost physically crippled him as well as emotional. Like he couldn't, apparently he couldn't like even, he had trouble operating the camera. He had trouble like focusing and he had trouble, like he was in a mental uh, institution for a while before, right before he made Antichrist. And uh, he had troubles like getting, he had trouble getting through the movie. And you can tell 
And it's it's you know uh, a lot of the people a lot of people who are artists who deal with depression and uh, a lot of art like especially if you're trying to like really make art that matters like it's 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 a very common thing for people like that to to get into depression and uh, as as a writer myself uh, who you know goes hand in hand with you know I have I've been struggling with depression pretty much my whole life and uh, I've 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 gone to a lot of the therapists that I've gone to uh, have specialized in dealing with depression that uh, dealing with depression that plagues artists and artist types and creative types. And uh, one of the things that you know when you're when you're dealing with depression, in order to like you know just process your thoughts, is that you're you're encouraged to indulge in your art in a way that's just like unfocused and you know just like stream of consciousness type thing like like like, right, writers... like don't think about it too yeah, much yeah exactly kind of like 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 uh, my my therapy for example you know as a writer was like you know just don't worry about like writing what you're whatever you're writing that has like uh, substance and structure don't worry about it pick up a notebook and just write like just stream of consciousness just keep writing whatever negative thoughts that come into your head no matter how irrational or how ugly it can be and i i feel like that's what one trier kind of did and the, this is a film beside all of its like you know um male female uh relationships that it deals with and beside the tragedy that opens the film and how a family uh, deals with grief it's a film about depression that's what the uh, um you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's split into three sections grief pain and uh, I forgot the third one, but he's, yeah, I can't he's, remember. Yeah, he's he's basically like the the three the three beggars uh, that are basically begging you to like stay in depression. You know uh, that that it's it's I, I look at it as a film about depression, but the problem is that you know when I uh, I have notebooks and like giant notebooks full of just drivel, just negative, ugly stupid shit that like irrationally negative stuff that i write but i'm never going to take those notebooks and send it to a uh, a publisher and say like this would make a good book for other people to read and i feel like yeah that's fine you're you're you know i feel like with one tree i'm like that's fine you're going through some shit and it's it's a uh, you know I, I i bet it was therapeutic for him but why why do we have to watch your kind of like unfocused uh drivel i mean it's a uh, um this is an incredibly unfo- unfocused film that like changes tone and pretty much genre just like off the you know it's just like it starts off as this like really intense tragedy drama it turns into this uh the second act turns into all of a sudden a uh, symbolism for garden of eden and how ugly nature can be and like and that's that's a typical like thought pattern when you're dealing with depression of like oh, everything in nature is trying to kill itself and nothing really matters anyway and we're all going back into the dirt and it's just gonna end uh and then mm-hmm. the third act all of a sudden turns into a fucking slasher movie and uh mm-hmm. you know the the woman goes ape shit and we can get into all the like disgusting misogyny in this film a little bit later but um but yeah, I just want to let's let's focus a little bit on like the, the the surface uh reaction to this film in terms of just I would say like the technical and narrative level. How do you look mm-hmm. at it as a story and as a movie? Ryan, I think you should continue cuz I I I can at least say that I I'm like going to be the sole defender of this movie on on this episode, <laughs> but uh, I'd love to hear I'd love yeah, to fi- hear what fi- finally you you'll see yeah. what it's like. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Cuz I I'm, I'm usually uh, yeah. I'm usually that guy. <laughs> I this was uh I I was not upset 
quite as upset watching this movie again, but I still really don't care for this movie. It was, um, I saw it as a freshman in college, and this was the, the first Lars von Trier film that I had seen. Um, not a good entry point if you're looking to Ooh. get into his films, by the way. Like, just not wow. at all. And so it really soured me from watching any of his movies uh, for a while because, you know, I didn't really have the context to really, like, wrestle with this movie other than I was just like, fuck this. I don't want this movie. Like, I don't want anything to do with this movie. This is horrible. But again, at that at that age and that time, I just didn't really have the context to really unpack it. And so when I started watching more of his movies uh, and, you know, discovering ones that I really like, like, um, I already mentioned Breaking the Waves in Europa. I'm also a big fan of The Element of Crime. Um, mm. So th- those are, when I started watching more of his films, I was like, okay, one day, someday I will revisit Antichrist. Like, like if I, like, I don't want to sit through it again, necessarily, but like, I, I feel like I should just to give it, just to give it a fair shake. And so when Octa said he picked, was going to pick it, I was like, okay, well, now I have to, now I have to watch it again. And, I have to say, at least the first 40 minutes um, really gripped me this time. Um, and I can't, you know, and I think it just depends on whatever your personal view and personal experiences are and what you bring to it. But, like, to me, it felt like the most, like, harrowing, visceral depiction of grief and loss that I've ever really seen on film. And, like, uh, whether whether it works in a, like, storytelling or narrative sense or not, it really um, it really hit me in the gut that time. I was like, wow, am I am I going to retroactively, you know, change my mind about this movie? Am I going to like it this time out? Even his filmmaking techniques, like, for uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character, like, her state of mind, like, his mm-hmm. s- jarring jump cuts and breaking the 180-degree rule um, for, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, I was like, well, there's no reason for that. But I was like, well, that actually works in this context because of the just like level of like mass hysteria and anxiety that this character is feeling i was like wow that really really fits um so i was taken aback for the first 40 minutes of this movie uh the second time out uh but i i still the last hour of this movie or the last half of this movie i just i can't get on board with i, I just can't get on board with it does shift and become a different film and even though it is one of the same it's just the most like nihilistic awful thing like you know because the movie is nihilistic and it's like fuck it like nothing matters chaos reigns which a fox has to come out and tell us thanks fox. <laughs> we get it we see that, it that doesn't that doesn't that uh, look like a uh like it would if you saw like a one of these like art like if all of a sudden judd apatow or like jake kazan or whatever wanted to make like an art house like a movie that parodies art house movies wouldn't you like see that scene exactly in a film like that yeah, it, it feels like something that would be straight out of one of the, like, a parody movie of an art house movie. It just didn't, it's not that it didn't make sense. I was just like, go fuck yourself. Like, that's yeah. the, like, response, which I feel like really is, like, Lars Venture, you know, and, and he does this. He he is a child. Like, he, I know he's almost 60, but he is a child, essentially. Like, he likes to repeatedly poke you. And, you know, that's what he does. It's like the the only real response to one of his movies are like, I, I am a weeping baby and that destroyed me or go fuck yourself. Like that's really only two responses. I feel you can have to a Von Trier movie. And this is, you know, I take it as I go. I don't have an overall like fuck him or, you know, I, or, or I love everything he's done. I take it one film at a time, but like this, and I would also say Nymphomaniac are the two that I have at least seen where I'm like, just, just go fuck yourself. Especially with so, the ending, yeah. like the the last ten minutes of of both films are infuriating. Oh, absolutely! What, like, in in the what they're is, trying to he, say, basically, he, he's come out and said he views like most of his movies as a comedy. I don't know how anyone could interpret this okay. as that, but like he's he 
views all of his movies as being funny. And so, like, if that's the case, and I feel like Nymphomaniac especially, and I don't want to dwell too much on that film because you can go back and listen to a previous episode where we talk about it, but, um, you know, like, it, it feels like he undercuts the entire movie for the sake of a, a cruel joke. And that's kind of how Antichrist is to me. Like, on a smaller scale. Like, in Nymphomaniac, you have to sit through four and a half hours of it mm-hmm. to get to that point. But this <laughs> this one at least is more truncated, but it just feels like it, it just undoes the movie for me. So I still really don't like this movie, but I at least felt I had the tools to, like, really give it a fair shake uh, this time out. Uh, all right, Eric, why, yeah, are you, I mean... uh, uh, why are you a misogynist woman-hating asshole? Explain yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I like the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll start from that angle. Um, I think that this movie yeah, is dealing. That. I think this movie is dealing with the idea of misogyny. And I think Lars von Trier is personally dealing with, am I a misogynist with this movie? And yes. Ryan, I think the other place I really want to start with, <laughs> maybe he is Octave, but he's also a good filmmaker, I'd argue. But, uh, Ryan, well, so um, is Lenny Riefenstahl. Said, you wouldn't be a neo-Nazi. Well, I mean, and you know, D.W. Griffith made *Birth of a Nation*, which is uh, awful content, but he did amazing things cinematically. You know, that still influenced movies today. Um, however, uh, uh, Ryan, you had mentioned that um, that this was the first movie you saw for Lars von Trier. You said that, right? Yeah, correct. Um, Exactly. So you uh, right there. Yes, I, I like this movie, Antichrist, um, but it is one of the worst movies of his to start with, I would say, mm-hmm. because yeah. I find that um, even though he's made uh, a couple movies since Melancholy and Nymphomaniac, this to me is the movie that right now stands as like this grand exploration, but also a sort of him like trying to approach a sort of thief thesis as a filmmaker. Like, what do I represent as a filmmaker? And that's why you it, it, it works better. I think you at least got more out of that first half, Ryan, because you had seen some of the more essential or some of the earlier films to lead up to it because he's always had this label of like, is he a misogynistic filmmaker? He he makes these movies where women play these incredibly complex roles, uh, but they're essentially martyr roles. So you had, you know, like um, Bjork never vowed to never act in a movie again after Dancer in the Dark because of how... You know, he working with him just left her sort of like depleted and and um, yeah, I'm blank, Emily Watson and Breaking mm-hmm. in the Waves. You know, like these these roles, these movies, like this Dogville sort of flips it on its head by the end. I really don't like Dogville, but at least that movie flips the idea of she ha- it becomes a sort of revenge statement on it. He's he's been exploring this through his career, is what I'm saying, and he goes through this really deep bout of depression. And Octa, I think you really did a good job of explaining for me why i find the movie fascinating and why it doesn't repel it doesn't repulse me i find it interesting in a clinical sort of like exploratory sense and i think that's what von trier is doing is like people have been he's a he's a very self-aware self-conscious self-reflexive filmmaker and he i think he's read his reviews he's read this stuff over you know the decades he's been putting movies out there that like maybe he's actually asking with this movie am i a misogynist like I, I hate myself right now. I'm in this bout of depression, but also like people keep saying these things about me. Like that's what this movie feels like he's exploring. And the mm-hmm. credits in the opening, the opening slide of the movie is Lars von Trier, Antichrist. You get no other mm-hmm. Lars von Trier director of, or any of that. It's just Lars von Trier, Antichrist. He's kind of admitting I am a child. I am the Antichrist. And now I want to see if I can explore that idea. And Maybe in that sort of stream of consciousness vibe that this movie does have, Octay, which I also think is accurate to the to 
the way the movie feels. I just find that fascinating. Even though it's kind of ugly and potentially repulsive morally, he's like approaching these ideas. I think it's okay to to that's what cinema for me can be about sometimes is I don't want to deal, I don't think these things in life. I'm not I don't but it's okay to have ideas and preconceptions challenged and I find the movie fascinating like a, a, in that sense right it's, there. It's it's interesting to be sure and it's it's totally like it's a film that's open to so much discussion and that's that was why I guess we were all like excited about discussing it but I think you can separate those two things completely. You can be you can say that something is intriguing and interesting in a clinical way that you want to delve into and discuss while also kind of you know you know coming out with a with an opinion that says yeah it but it's still a piece of shit like it doesn't work at all and it's it's annoying and it's grating and you come out with like all these reasons why it 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 it, it doesn't work yes it's it's interesting to watch someone uh who's dealing with depression especially as 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 someone you know who's dealt with depression i mean i've dealt with this depression for so long i can't even remember when it like first started to to bear himself so completely like this to but in a, in a way that's just like yes you understand the attempt but what comes out of it is just like this 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 despicable ugliness and it's it's uh and it's also a way for him to also kind of deal with his with with what I feel like his giant ego. I feel like Lars von Trier, like you said, a, a kid has a giant ego. Like Ryan's description was perfect because he is like a kid. He is like a kid who's just constantly like pay attention. And that's what a kid does. A kid always goes pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. I deal with a two-year-old toddler every day, uh, and it's uh, you know my daughters. You know, it's like it's it's kind of like my daughter who's constantly like daddy, 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 and it's just like this. This random thing that she's doing, she's like, "Look, look at me eating grapes," and I'm just like, "Yay, that's great, honey." And that's pretty much what he's doing. He's just like constantly like paying attention to himself. It's interesting, and it's you know, uh, it definitely opens up this discussion because of how raw and honest it is. But at the same time, you know, it's like the uh, uh, I don't want to bring up Donald Trump, whatever. That's that. But but it's like someone who's like who's like, "Oh, look at like he like this person is like open. It tells it like it is." And it's just like, but then at the same time, what if you're an asshole? What if you're a woman-hating mm-hmm. prick who's just like who just I would argue though at attention. least at least Lars von Trier is making something. He's creating something out of these potentially ugly ideas. I think that is far more uh, productive than what some slimy, you know, fucking conservative yeah, uh, no, that, political candidate exactly. is doing. So that's and why, as I, soon as I, I thought of it, I was just like, "I'm not going to make that because it doesn't." Right, doesn't you've opened the floodgates. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> but honestly, that's uh, it's not a I good do comparison. Find, but but I and I see why you go there. Re- ultimately, I I this is the kind of movie like there have been uh, other movies that uh, either of you have chosen as overrated that I've disagreed with. Um, Kill Bill, uh, for instance, and Upstream Color were some too offhand I can remember that I mm-hmm. I don't agree. I think those movies are uh, awesome, right? So I defended him on the show. Now, Antichrist, I'm, I've am i already said, I, I like it, you guys don't. I, I, It's one of those movies that I always will understand if 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 most people either don't even want to see it or don't like it. I, I, I will defend it, but I'm, I'm not going to be like, I'm not outraged that you guys think it's an overrated movie. I think I understand, it's like, I like this movie a lot and I've seen it like four times and I think it's better every time I watch really? it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. And I've I've written about it in the past for the playlist, and uh, I I think I don't know. It's not one of his best movies, but I think it's one of his most important films. That is him 
you know, I, I think there's value to it, but I understand if you guys don't like it. I, I can only defend it to a point. Um, but it, it, it makes me wonder, like you guys talk about the hideous stuff or the really repellent stuff at the end, you know, when it, the stuff that the movie really made, um, headlines for when it premiered at like Cannes in 2009, um, you know, we all heard about it when the movie premiered is like how these scenes of violence, like, what is it? Do you guys just hate the fact that he portrays some of the stuff that he does in the movie? Right. I don't hate necessarily that he portrays them necessarily. It's just that I don't. I don't quite understand why, I guess, and I think that's the point. I, I don't, um, it doesn't, like, offend me on a level of, like, like I could take that in a movie. I'm not, like, some, you know, I'm not some person who's, like, I, I don't want to see that. I mean, it's horrible things. I don't necessarily want, ah, damn. This is, this is a good thing about Pontrero you're bringing up, because it's, like, I don't, now I don't know how to articulate exactly how or why I feel about it. I just feel mm. the way I feel about it. But, um, right. you know, if this was, if, if I saw that in a movie that I was, like, on board with what it was trying to confront me with. And, and that's a key. I like when a movie can be confrontational and this movie is that in, uh, you know, a hundred times over, but I guess I don't necessarily know wh- why it happens. So it's, it's not what happens. It's how it mm. happens. And I don't know exactly why he's doing the things that he's doing it towards the end of that movie. And so, because I don't know exactly what they were going for i'm like i now i don't need to see now it, feel, it feels gratuitous but maybe that's on me i'm not saying that that's on von Trier as an artist necessarily but maybe that's on me yeah well, i mean what, what I you're know. basically saying is that if you were engaged in the 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 characters and the themes and what it was trying to say and if you were really with it and if it really fit the fit the themes and the you know like if, if you if you were with it i feel like you know that wouldn't have it would it wouldn't have felt so out of place maybe you would have been have been as repulsed by it but then you're you're already annoyed by it and then that moment comes and uh i mean first of all let me let me uh first clear up that like as far as just like on the surface the graphic violence of it goes none none of it is impressive or shocking or anything like that it's like you know it's like this is a film that uh you know ends with the close-up shot of where the finale has a close-up shot of a, a piece of you know of someone's genitalia being uh cut off and uh, you see it like in a, in a really close up shot, and it's just like it's meant to shock and you know probably you, to offend and disgust you. You don't find that shocking? <laughs> I found that no, dude, dude, shocking. go 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 watch a random trauma movie. You'll see so much worse. Like as far as like the graphic depiction, like what the image that you're seeing on screen, regardless of the context, if that's the thing that like bothers people, if that's the thing that goes that has people say like, oh, Vontrier, he's so uh, uh, he's so brave for being able to put up like this. There's such a graphic image on screen. Then, uh, then Lloyd Kaufman is the greatest. You know, the founder of Troma is the greatest uh, art house filmmaker who ever lived. Like, go watch like okay. the the tur- turd monster or dude, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Now, like, like that. But but they yeah. they do. I mean, it's like if you watch those movies, there's some like gross shit like that happens all the time. So it's it right. But my point is. I just I don't think people are saying that about Antichrist. I don't think they ever have that. They're like, way to go, man! You you put that. You know, you cut a clitoris off in yeah. you know, close up. Like, I don't think people are applauding him for that. I think that was what that that image alone and a couple of the other things she does to Willem Dafoe in this movie, like made people like outraged. If anything, it kept people from seeing the movie. So, I mean, uh, it's just a, also, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, I, a castration the illusion. Scene, yeah, sorry. No, no, I see the illusion you're making, Octay. I just uh, I, I feel like maybe. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch comparing it to like a like what you're saying. That uh, obviously there's been all kinds of movies before and since that show horrible 
violence yeah, and, and, the, and the ending like of that. in the realm of the senses shows a much more graphic uh depiction of a castration than um right the uh, the oshima movie the, the yeah the nagisa uh oshima movie uh which is which is great by the way it's one of the it's it's probably the most beautiful porn ever made which which is a great thing <laughs> i think uh but um yeah yeah that's that's you know as far as that like you know as you know as of course weird sickos like me who've seen every single type of gore and a graphic detail of every type of bodily function in the movies uh, is not going to be impressed by that. I'm sure, like people, other people are going to be shocked by that, especially the art house crowd who are not used to seeing stuff like that. Um, yeah, but but I, th- I think that's I, th- I think that just goes. You know, I'm just talking about like the visual um, level of that. But the thing that like you know, like like Ryan mentioned, like the first 40 minutes, it's it really it's it's engaging and it's it's yeah. I mean, the the day the way that it I I never get engaged with the characters because they never feel like real people to me. In the way that uh, Lazarus Trier wrote them, I think you know. The reason that they're called, of course, here's another like uh, pretentious move by calling them like the characters he and she. Um, mm-hmm. Like they're supposed to represent man and woman, and they go to the forest, and the forest is kind of like representation of the Garden of Eden, but it's like a, it's the exact opposite of what people think of Garden of Eden because. You know, of course, Von Trier is going through depression, so he thinks nature kills everything and nature is the enemy and all that stuff. Nature Um, is evil inherently. Yeah, exactly. And chaos reigns, of course. Um, I actually like that motif of them just being named he and she. Like, uh, uh, just just to put that on the record, I like that of this sort of... But then the kid is named, named, and then you're supposed to... It's supposed to be also start off as kind of like a more subjective film about this 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 couple that's going through grief it doesn't you know the kid has a name for some reason uh so it's 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 such a weird choice to me i don't i don't get it i think it rep it's just it it adds more to uh like what i was saying that this is von trier sort of dealing with these ideas of the way he represents men and women in his movies so why why give those characters names it's like ryan kind of said they they represent like man woman the boy gets his name the kid gets his name i think because like he died and we need to remember him as a mm. a person within this story it's important to remember that this child died and that's why these people have spun off the rails in the way that they have i mean mm. to me it it actually adds more more weight like i it, if the kid didn't have a name or something i think that would be really flippant and kind of uh not emotionally engaging at all and uh, as challenging as this movie is man i i find it engaging all the way through even when it really spins off the rails in the end i think i don't know man i like even kind of base things like i mean you guys hate this movie i understand but like can you see like anthony dodd mantle's cinematography is stunning the the sound design the music all that uh, fucking charlotte gainsbourg and willem dafoe are especially charlotte gainsbourg is like next level Amazing in my she's opinion. fantastic in this movie, the and she's she's been his yeah. she's been his MVP for the last like even though I hated right. the maniac like I think she's great in that movie. It's just and she's you know, stuck I, with him, yeah. yeah, yeah, she has, and and I just I do kind of want to go on record like I I I dislike the last hour of this movie, but like but I don't feverishly hate this movie. Like I, I do at least want to say that. Like I did when I first saw it, and but I have to say. I, I don't think I would watch this movie four times like you have, Eric. But uh, <laughs> I'm sick, but I I'm sorry. but I, but I can, dedication, but, at least, dude. but at least on the second I like viewing, it. I could say that it was better. Like I, you said, it gets better after each <laughs> viewing. I could at least vouch for that. Uh, it's just 
I don't even really know how to put my finger on it necessarily, but I also do feel that like the middle section of the movie, and this may be just a lazy criticism of the movie and and again maybe it's on me that's how i like and i, I kind of do like this movie questions that it's like is this is it really the movie or is this me is it on me but i find the like middle section before um you know all the like horrible like spasms of violence happen to be quite boring actually mm-hmm. like I, I i like i find it to be like i just did not find it to be it is engaged like i was really with it the first 40 and then i you know i just kind of trailed off and then when the you know horrible you know these horrific acts of violence start happening we went, wait wait how did we get here what what just happened <laughs> um, right. and so that's sort of my i guess trajectory of, yeah i'm uh, i'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of there as well. I find I the way I look at this film is it has a reprehensible opening, and then uh, it is beautiful. It's, it's beautifully reprehensible, dude. Though. That's why it's like, reprehensible. That's it, the the uh, beauty I, is in real, the, real the, the the ugliness I, is in the beauty. Yeah, go why on. is it reprehensible? Can I ask? Just because of what it shows us, or no, like no, no, what, what not, I want to? I just want to understand like what it what it shows. It's about how you know going back to the idea of Lars von Trier as this like child who just constantly keeps wanting attention and constantly wants to show people how much of a great auteur he is and it's just like this really uh abrasive like in your face way of like using like a like a like a 90s calvin klein commercial aesthetic mm-hmm. uh to depict such a horrible like the worst thing that could happen uh to a parent to depict it to, to depict it in this like yeah let me look look at like how i'm like using beautiful music and gorgeous black and white photography and look at willem dafoe's cock going into the vagina which i guess that was like a stunt penis stunt whatever cock. a stunt cock but um yeah and and then that that kind of like, and then you see like the uh the baby coming out of the crib and you see the little toy soldiers with like the grief and despair written on them and stuff and that was the moment where i was just like fuck you but anyway, it's uh, that's that's what's and 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 also on top of that, it's just like looking at these parents of like turning off the baby monitor and leaving the baby gate open and all that stuff. It's just like that stuff. Also, but, like I'm I'm like yeah, you deserve it. You're, you're, you're well, morons. Uh, but but right, but, right, yeah, but, it's the, it's the, it's that it's that it's that like kind of abrasive. Like look at how fucking like in your face I can be by using like this this aesthetic that the audiences associate with like happiness and serenity like the commercial aesthetic by showing you something mm-hmm. horrible that happens and look at how ballsy i am and compare that to uh the opening of don't look now which i guess you know we're gonna get into it's it's night and day dude it it, it really is mm. okay i mean maybe maybe we're at a really good point to to swing over to don't look now i don't know i mean what do you guys think i feel like i feel like with antichrist there's not much more i think we can all elaborate on i mean beyond we're just going to do this back and forth thing and i i I think i think antichrist could warrant its own (laughs) hour and a half podcast alone so maybe maybe we should switch over to don't look now um mainly i think we could uh touch on the um the the frustrating misogyny of the ending maybe a little bit okay uh I would say, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what your what your thoughts on this are. I guess we can go into like spoilers, which like I don't mind because I'm like you shouldn't watch this anyway. Sure, but um, what happens at the end? I think uh, okay. the kind of what I think the twist is, which is deplorable and which is like which is in a way that like I mean it could happen. There has been occasions, of course. You know, you you read articles all the time about like women or men who are just depressed and 
go insane and kill their own children. Uh, you know, that that's the type of thing that happens. But the way that it's used in this film to extract, like, shock value is so infuriating to me uh, in a way that, like... And also, it's it's really makes me, you know, makes me feel like it makes me go back to, like, yeah, he's, he, Lars von Trier is burying, burying himself, but what if what you're burying out is just, like, this these horrible, horrible thoughts? I guess, like, when he got uh, the the anti-award or whatever for misogyny at Cannes, he said that, like, he said that he didn't get it because he identified with the female character more. And I was like, if you identify with the female character more, who's relieved, who's kind of revealed to be an insane person who was torturing her child and letting him die, that that's the, the twist that comes off at the end, to me at least, that, that's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. Is If you're, no, if you're identifying with that, that character, yeah. there's something like seriously fucking wrong with you so yeah that's it's it's it just got, comes off from like what how Lars von Trier approaches this character how he uses that twist as a twist ending and how that is like the misogyny of like you know after a uh the overall misogyny of like after a crisis like this the man is the rational one and the woman oh, is see, the one who goes insane and there's just see, like that's right that's where i disagree that there's this like disgusting line where uh willem dafoe says something like a crying woman is a scheming woman or something like that it's so there, there's like there's like stuff that's like peppered around there but it's, it's mainly the ending that like that really really but, pisses okay me if, because of that. if lars von trier identifies with charlotte gainsbourg's character wouldn't a line like willem dafoe the one you just referenced that's supposed to infuriate you you're supposed mm, to be maybe. in her perspective she might turn out to have been potentially crazy or like like maybe went crazy when she took the kid the last time she was at the cabin and like started putting his shoes on the wrong feet and like you know they hint at all that they show all that stuff but um i think i think you're she's the protagonist he's the he's the antagonist in this movie Mm. he's his hubris he's punished and essentially is almost castrated himself and becomes uh, it's what I love about the final image of this movie is the faceless women like essentially mm-hmm. yeah, going to yeah. take him over is that he's kind of become more feminine, but he's like had to pay a price for it because he uh, with his hubris, he thought he could he could cure his wife. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to have sex with your therapist. He says that yet he thinks he can cure her. I think that's what he gets punished for that. She punishes herself, I think, because she's fucking insane. Yeah. But I don't think that's some sort of. I mean, then again, maybe that um, is. But then what again, Lars you're supposed Trier... to identify with, uh, not 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 in an anti-hero kind of way of like watching an interesting character who's despicable be the protagonist, but in a way that like he he almost shows it like you're supposed to identify and feel sympathy for a woman who tortured her child and let him die. I don't know about sympathy. It's just about understanding. I don't think this movie is uh, about sympathy insofar as only the first 30 minutes are you – how can you not feel sympathetic for a couple that just lost their kid? Well, if you don't but believe then you they're real about... to begin with, that's – you know, it's not that hard. <clears throat> well, uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, but the movie – I think the movie and Lars von Trier's films, even the ones I don't like, are more than just – uh, sort of only a one or another option to like respond as Ryan kind of talked about or Ryan how did you say it like a fuck you that you only respond as like fuck you or what was it that's beautiful oh, like 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 it's yeah it's beautiful like I'm babbling and crying and just destroyed but like also right. come out like firming or fuck you which I mean you right. can't have I think a, d- yeah you can't have a complicated response I mean it's it's definitely possible to have one because he always leaves you with I feel like a movie that makes you say fuck you is at least doing something right like i would take that over like just some boring uh 
whatever, like shrug it off. So yeah, of, of course, of like, course. Like I, I will never, I, I, you know, this is a movie that you will, you know, never forget. Even if you say, you know, fuck you, like that's, you will never forget. That's true. It goes back to right. what Eric said that we, we, I think we all agree with is that it, it's, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's, it's worth discussing and it's fascinating in that, in that sense, for sure. I would uh, I would submit uh, to to both of you if you haven't seen Octa uh, accidentally you 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 said the movie Dogtooth earlier um, that same director the the Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos he made a movie right after Dogtooth called Alps hmm. that is uh, essentially uh, it might. I would submit that movie to both of you to check out if you want to see a movie that actually is funny and is about mm. grief. Oh, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know he made a movie between uh, Dogtooth and The Lobster. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, and yeah, it's I called Elps. It's, it's, oh, it's fantastic, dude. I, mean, I heard about it from your podcast, Eric. I still haven't watched it. I love Dogtooth, right. but I but I heard right. of Elps from, from your show. So That's I right. Yeah, I talked about it then. Yeah, I, I would say check it out because it's another – it's a whole other angle on – whole other angle on grief and how a movie can be about that and – um, I just after this conversation, I think I just think of that movie as like you guys should check that out because it's it's more it's definitely more in an actual comedy realm, but it still deals with grief in a really serious, interesting way. Um, mm. Maybe that maybe that's the one for you guys. I guess you know a movie like Antichrist for me, I think of <laughs> an, an an ex girlfriend of mine used to really uh, who also uh, at times suffered with the kind of real depression you guys have talked about or Octa you've talked about is like. Um, she, she'd say like, why do you like watching these movies? And she, she used to say like, you, it's like you like going, it's like taking a vacation from your own brain to go see what it's like for somebody else. And, um, I think that's what movies like Antichrist do for me that, um, I can't say I've dealt personally with like a crippling, really difficult depression. I've been depressed, but not in the way that Lars von Trier is trying to portray here. Or even in the way I think Octa you've, you've talked about here is. So, so and, the three um, beggars never visited you? No, I, no, as far <laughs> as I know, if they, and if they did, I, I didn't notice, man. But, uh, yeah. but they, I, I think that this movie might work for that that kind of moviegoer who wants to <laughs> a brave moviegoer that wants to have ideas challenged, but also wants to experience things they maybe haven't. If this movie, at all, on a level of its portrayal of depression, hits close to home, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't recommend that movie for anybody. Like. Um, in that sense. So, you know, it's, it just comes down to that. Like, I understand, I understand why this is a pick for you, Octa as, as overrated. I understand why you guys don't like it, but, um, I will defend it, but you know, to a point, I, I understand. No, it's admirable to defend the things that you like amidst people who don't. So I'm yeah. glad that you do. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. That you do. And I'm, I'm glad that for, for once you're, you're in my, in my shoes. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a hot seat, man. Hot yeah. Yeah. It's seat. a hot seat. Between two against one. Um, cool. Did you want to move on to uh, Don't Look Now? What are you reading? I was just trying to find the answer to a question Christine was asking me. The world's round, why is a frozen pond flat? It's a good question. curves more than three degrees from its easternmost shore to its westernmost shore. So, frozen water isn't flat. I think it's what it seems. 
Did you put all the uh, window signs together? Uh, no, I put the duplicates in my tray. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so I know a movie that all three of us are going to agree on. Or I, well, I I shouldn't I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't assume too much, but I feel confident we're probably going to agree a lot more on the uh, 1973 Nicholas Rogue film Don't Look Now. I would say classic masterpiece, whatever word you want to use. I, I think it applies to uh, mm-hmm. to Don't Look Now. And um, yeah, 1973 Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie, who I I'm. I don't mean to be too reductive. She's a fantastic actress, but she might also be one of the most beautiful women I've ever oh, seen yeah. uh, on screen. And in this movie, it's there. And um, yeah, so so don't look now. Um, uh, Octa, why? Why? why it, I will say it. How do you describe this as an underrated movie? Because yeah. I feel like it's pretty beloved. But yeah, uh, I'd love yeah. to know why. I knew. Find I it knew. Uh, I knew that was coming. So I, I got. <laughs> prepared for that. Uh, so yeah, this is a this is a beloved film. It's considered to be a masterpiece by a lot of film critics and film buffs. And um, it was, uh, I think, it was rated as it was fun, it was like the the best British film in a like Time Out magazine a poll with uh, that they did with a bunch of British filmmakers. Uh, it always like uh, pops up in like uh, some, like the best uh, British films ever made or like in in the best films that are made like those books that are like thousand movies you must watch before you die and all that like it, it always pops up there it's arguably i think uh the best film of a director who made some great films uh nicholas rogue oh, yeah. um oh, yeah. and uh yeah it's it's very well regarded but i feel like my the way that that I, that I approached it i approached it from a horror genre perspective um especially as far as like the the height of the 70s more cerebral more um kind of moody gritty like emotional horror cinema of 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 the 70s like you know the the film like like when you when you talk about those films the films that always pop up are films like the exorcist or the shining uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You have like your your veritable list of like the the films that people will just like ram- like like call off like immediately. Uh, and I feel like uh, Don't Look Now doesn't get as much of a mention in there, and I feel like it should. Uh, mm. This is I like it. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the 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 greatest, uh, the most influential horror films ever made. Uh, it was one of the most important steps in in horror in a way that it 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 kind of bridges the gap between horror and drama uh it's a film that that focuses on a feeling of dread and helplessness on on top of like shock value or um like supernatural uh creepy elements and stuff like that it's a it's it's a film that makes you feel uneasy all the way through even though it doesn't really use any like kind of like supernatural in your face special effects the way that like a film a great film like the exorcist would and uh the the thing that like makes me always go back to don't look now as a great horror film uh as a great example of the genre on top of being like a, an incredibly well-made film that I would, I would call a masterpiece and and the way that like especially as, as far as its influence goes it doesn't get mentioned nearly as much um mm, yeah that that the way that it uses editing the way that it uses uh music the way that it uses tone cinematography everything that was like so revolutionary at the time around the time of the 70s revolution uh that i think it deserves that that you know it, i think it deserves that title of a masterpiece uh, but on top of that as far as a horror film it's it's it really is the one film you know as as harrowing as you know the the opening scene of course is 
probably the most one of the most harrowing scenes of any horror film that I've ever seen. Mainly, be- I mean, it used to be before I had a kid. Now that I have a kid and I have a toddler yeah, that's gosh. like two years old who 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 plays <laughs> with, and she has she she loves balls. So she has she has like tons of uh, those plastic little balls upstairs that she loves kicking around and playing with. So it's like it that makes it extra hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. To to rewatch the opening as like it's like one of those things where whenever I put on that movie I'm just like the opening is so great that it's 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 one of those things that just like it just makes you angry at like how how effective it plays with your emotions. Um <laughs> but but moving on from that it's just like it's the only film that I can think of that deals with the paranormal and the supernatural and this is a film that that obviously it's not even like The Shining where you know even though Kubrick and King say that there are really are ghosts in the hotel that some people say like oh it was because he was going crazy or whatever it's it's this is pretty clear that um mm. uh this is a film that in the universe of this film like premonitions and uh voices from the other world like the uh the ghost world or whatever exists and there are people who can tap into it and you know that just goes like as it's it's kind of like a given in this film it's a film with a heavy kind of paranormal um uh, content in it, but the way that it deals with in such a straightforward and almost like rational way about like there are things that we don't know. It's almost like yeah. a like a supernatural uh, paranormal film that was made by a, an atheist or an agnostic. It's it's but that 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 approach of it that that heavily dramatic, no frills, no like big special effects uh, kind of approach to this kind of like paranormal story. It makes me feel like this as an agnostic myself uh, makes me feel like this is the only film. That deals with these issues that I can directly relate to in a realistic sense, almost. Like I, I watch The Exorcist, and I'm just like, it's, it's, it's like every other horror film that deals with the supernatural and the paranormal. It's like it's gripping, and it has like all the stylistic elements that that make it great. And you, but, but you don't, you don't feel like, like you could be in that situation. You don't really believe in it. You're just like, yeah, it's like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like fantasy. And this is the one film where that that it makes me kind of do a double take of like. It's it's so like it feels so real and engaging mm. and interesting to me, and that's what makes me feel like the amount of dread and sadness. And then on top of that, like there, there's a little bit of optimism in there about like what the afterlife or the netherworld or whatever you want to call it could be. Like there's there's a whole point about like how the couple's daughter dies, and then the, the two sisters, one of them is a um, the blind one is a uh, um, a psychic who says like psychic, yeah, yeah who, who basically says like your daughter is happy you shouldn't be sad and you know and there's like this weird like at the very end uh, when something else tragic happens there's like this smile on a character's face that's like so it just deals with these elements and there's nothing is like set in stone and it's kind of like there's a line at the beginning where uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie are talking about like oh our daughter was asking about like the why the frozen ponds don't they prove that the earth is flat and then she finds like some piece of evidence that proves that the earth, earth is round and then uh, Donald Sutherland says like a throw like sounds like a throwaway line but it's like the key line in the movie of like I guess we never really know anything yeah so yeah. Uh, starting off from those points that's my reasoning behind like you know it's a great film it's a masterpiece but I think it's mostly held up like that by people who love Nicholas Rogue's films or people who love drama but I feel like horror fans uh, should really put it up on that same pedestal as like Exorcist and Shining or whatever else kind of movies that like the great horror films that you can think of. Uh, so let I me... like that. I like that angle. Yeah, I like that angle. I mean that 
that actually makes a certain kind of sense yeah, to me now. Yeah, because it doesn't, uh, doesn't come up. If you, if you talk with, like, horror fans about, like, oh, what are your favorites from, like, the era, or what are your favorite horror films of all time, it's like, you have the usual suspects of, like, Exorcist, Shining, Texas Chainsaw, Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, you know, it's just that the list goes on. But I rarely ever, uh, Don't Look Now rarely ever pops up, and I think it's a great horror film because of how influential and revolutionary it was in the genre. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry I went on for too long, but let me let me. No, no, no! It's your I picks, mean... and you love this movie, and it's <laughs> it's it's exciting to hear you uh, talk about it. Let it me, also me, uh... predates, uh, you know, The Exorcist and Poltergeist and The Shining and all you know these movies that do use that sort of uh, paranormal, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, thing so, to so, it. So, so Ryan, like was a... this the first time you watched Don't Look, Don't Look Now? Uh, no, no, no! It's the second time I've seen it. I okay. saw it in uh, film school uh, appropriately in an editing class. Nice. Um, oh, of so, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, so, no, so I, what, I really what do you like, think about it the second time? Uh, I think it's even better the second time because I, I really did like it the first time. But it's like you know, at that point, because I was you know focusing on my screenwriting classes as well, I was you know so focused on plot uh, in it, and so like I was trying to wrestle you know wrestle with the plot of the movie because this movie does take such great interesting turns and it's very loose too with the way that everything happens that it's like there's not necessarily a plot in the movie and and watching it the second time i think that's great i i think that even now that i like that i knew where the movie was going i was able to appreciate more the things that were happening um happening around it so yeah i really like this movie i do think um watching it again too maybe just having recently watched this particular movie this it feels like the movie that um Guillermo del Toro was trying to return to with Crimson Peak. Yes. Like that's like, <laughs> yes. uh, which, I mean, that movie played better on second viewing as well, but still like, not like a melodrama with ghost elements. Kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. more of a drama with like a supernatural elements to it. Uh, but this is, this is definitely the poster boy for that kind of movie. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts, I mean, Eric? Uh, you, have you, you've seen this before too, right? Uh, yes, I had, and I, just like Ryan, it, it was my second viewing. Was was watching it recently, and I, this is a movie. I'm really glad I have the Criterion Blu-ray now. Which I mean, looks amazing. People, that it looks amazing. Yeah, it's get so your hands great. on that Blu-ray, man. Yeah, next absolutely. price sale, I'll be on that for sure. I rented yeah. it like on you know a streaming service, which is available there too. But yeah, right. Criterion, right? Yeah, you can get. You can at least get Don't Look Now and Walk About on Hulu Plus through the Criterion channel. But he's Rogue's got more movies through Criterion that just they're not available on Hulu Plus right now. But mm. um, yeah, def- definitely. Uh, man, this movie just the Blu-ray looks fantastic. A lot of amazing special features and mm-hmm. uh, kind of the, some of the coolest ones I thought were like s- – People like Steven Soderbergh and Danny Boyle talking about how much they're like gushing. How much about they stole Oak. from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Soderbergh is right. And it reminded me of why I sought this movie out in the first place. The first time I saw it um, was after I saw Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and then before the Limey came out. But Soderbergh admits it in this interview on the Criterion disc is like how both those two movies directly rip off Nick Rogue. And um, Out of Sight has this amazing sex scene where he intercuts the before like the, the at the bar and then with the sex and then after as they're getting dressed well yeah he he had said in interviews back then and like whenever that movie came out 96 97 mm-hmm. or 98 maybe and he said no that's a direct like homage ripoff to this scene and don't look now and i was like well you know that's how i became a cinephile was like digging back from directors i liked movies i liked and 
then I see Don't Look Now, and I would say I wasn't even really prepared for it when I saw it the first time. I certainly recognized like the power of uh, its sex scene that Soderbergh ripped off and a lot of the other elements of this movie. I, I totally saw, recognized the quality, but this second viewing, and I think even more subsequent ones, is where I can see like why people why it is considered a masterpiece, but also where I agree with you, Octane, it is a great, a great, though not clearly a horror movie, mm-hmm. at least on the surface. I think I think mm-hmm. the reason maybe horror fans haven't approached it in that way or given it um you know, put it up there with those other like the usual suspects of of the of the horror genre is it just doesn't play like a typical horror movie. But again, that's what that's in its power, but also in how good it is as a drama and as just a cinematic experience, which I think, man, Nicholas Rogue really specialized in that. And the the older I get, the more movies I see. I like filmmakers like him who they just he tried to push the medium in everything he did. And um, another thing Soderbergh said in that same interview is like, you look at Don't Look Now or a movie like Performance, which he made before, and it doesn't even look like we've progressed that far since. No. Because he's still no. he's still influencing. Like, his stuff, cre- yeah, was very influential. Especially editing but also, and cinematography, like the, 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 oh, God, the narrative yes. grammar of film, that he plays with that. And it's like, it's in, in, in one of the extras in uh, Don't Look Now, like, I think, I think one is Soderbergh or Danny Balls has like, uh, or maybe his editor, like he says, like in Nicholas Rogue films, the the past and the future don't exist; it's all yes. the present. Uh, yes. So it's like you get you get images of like I don't know if you guys um, a couple of weeks before we did this episode, I I recommend a couple of films to you guys. I don't know if you re like caught up with them or um, you know about like you know performance, walkabout, uh, man who fell to earth, and uh, bad timing and insignificance in a in a little little way but like those three especially um did you guys see all of those i didn't get a chance to yeah yeah i didn't get to catch up but i have seen walkabout i also have that beautiful criterion blu-ray and then um man who fell to earth i saw on 35 millimeter at uh my place of uh employment now cinema 21 years ago that that movie i struggled with was pretty challenging man Mm -hmm. who fell to earth i i enjoyed a lot about it though i'm so glad i saw it but um to me walkabout is almost Almost as great as Don't Look mm-hmm. Now. I oh, might yeah. even like it more the more I watch it. But uh, yeah, so, guy's so, incredible. So the way that he uses, especially with editing, like just uh, foreshadows events that are about to come with like quick cuts of quick shots from that, and then uh, later on in the film you get flashbacks to the um, to some things that happen. And like it's it's in a way that like time exists in in the same space in his films. Like by the time you're watching the beginning of a film, the end has already happened. You get you get yeah. images from that. By the time you get to the end, the beginning is is exists with the end of the film. That's why like at that the the famous uh, twist ending of the film when that 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 tragedy happens at the end, you get this like the quick cuts of like it's like a it's like a flashback montage almost, and it doesn't with that with that kind of like beautiful music musical score that the film has. It doesn't feel cheesy or out of place. It just makes you, it just brings you back to the the the, the uh, cinematic grammar of the film, you know, or in a way that like it, it fits the themes of the story as well as like of like inevitability, I guess, in a way, or being um, being in peace with your fate and opening up to um, you know, it's an interesting and in the, in, a, in a way that like something I want to I wanted to actually like bring up was the the, the gender. Um, politics of both films are very kind of 
open and strict, but I feel like mm. Don't Look Now deals with the idea of, you know, the male side is rational while the female side is emotional a lot better than uh, Antichrist does. I don't know what you guys mm. think mm. about that. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that too. It's it's very very evident and and also clear. Not that it has to be clear, but it's it's very clear. It's and, also uh, just a better movie. I, I like Antichrist, but movie. this is a far this is just a much better movie. Yeah, this movie was made by an adult. Like <laughs> an adult, and and the other thing, I don't want to swing too far the other way, but it's like the the other thing you mentioned about the cinematic language and what I love about this movie too, and you you mentioned that maybe like horror thriller people haven't really embraced it, but what I think so fascinating about this movie is that it really kind of does have the big moments that you do expect a horror movie to have. It's just really downplayed. Like right. almost there are movies that are like have, you know, potential to be operatic or have jump scares. Like when the piece of wood uh, slams through uh, Donald Sutherland's like platform that he's on and he's dangling, which is a great scene. Yeah, um, so good. And a couple other moments, like when Julie Christie first faints at the restaurant, like those moments, you know, you expect those to be in a horror movie. They're all here. They're mm -hmm. just played more for character than for scares. And I think that's uh, really fascinating. That's true. I mean, it's basically a, a serial killer movie. But the, but the, the, the serial killer elements in it is like, you know, it's like the story of um, a couple who, you know, tragically, horrifically lose their, uh, their daughter. Just like the beginning, you know, of uh, the beginnings are like so similar with Antichrist and Don't Look Now. It's really hard to not feel like... Montreal was like really influenced by Don't Look Now, and that's a film that like usually comes up with critiques of uh, Antichrist as well. Uh, but you know, it's 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 done in this like the, I mean the the first five minutes. I don't. I'm, would you guys disagree with me to say that like the first five minutes are like you know as as harrowing as it is like narratively as like what happens in it? It's very very hard for me to sit but sit through. But it's, it would be like one of those sequences in film history that I would recommend uh like a film student who's studying the language yeah. of filmmaking and editing to like watch over and over and over again to like totally yeah. like you think about the jump cuts in that scene in that opening i'm with you dude it's like a master class of, of editing and i can see ryan why this was shown in an editing class because oh, yeah, i think about the way it it sets the way he cross cuts um builds tension uh, mystery, but also adds character details. So like he literally connects the Julie Christie character with the daughter before she dies in those first five minutes. I think they both kind of do a similar like scratch of their face. And he like, do you guys know the quick? And then he quickly match cuts them. Like Julie Christie does something like, you know, rubs her mm -hmm. nose or something. And then he match cuts instantly to the daughter doing it. And then it's like back to her or back to Donald Sutherland. And then he'll do these like, quick cut shots of like the girl, like Donald Sutherland. It, he has this sort of extra sensory ability in this movie. And that's the movie sets that up right away where he senses, he has mm -hmm. no reason to think the daughter is in harm's way because mm -hmm. he's in the house with his wife and she's out playing, but he knows something happens and he like builds up to that through editing is like, uh, it's the, uh, the, the more movies I watch, the more I get into dissecting movies. I find editing to be like the biggest special effect. And if you think about it, the cheapest special effect that any filmmaker can use to create something, to create an experience that um, it's a masterclass in this opening, man. It's so oh, yeah. even something as small as like, uh, you know, he spills a glass of whiskey and then that comes back into play later when she's with the psychic and they like, she's like, do you want a shot of whiskey? And she's like, I'm not going to need it. And she's like, oh, you might. Um, you know, that comes back into play as well. Totally, yeah. totally.
Yeah, ah, it's it's, uh, it's so uh, it's so good. Yeah, the, the in in that in that sense, it's 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 amazing. And then and then you have you know it's a the overall theme of like how it deals with how does a you know that 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 may be why why I was like going back to what I was saying before about like this is like might be the one horror film that I identify with personally about its paranormal elements because it, the overall film is about like how how does a rational person. Who, who relies on like like an intellectual rational maybe you know you get the feeling that that Donald Sutherland's character is an atheist at least an agnostic but he doesn't take religion very seriously at all and he kind of like makes fun of his wife for uh you know after this like this moment where she where she talks to um uh these two sisters and one of the sisters is psychic so she says all these things about her daughter and all of a sudden she's happy because she thinks her daughter's in a better place and mm-hmm. uh Donald Sutherland this whole time is kind of like openly mocking her and in a way that just like makes you feel like you know it's it's an interesting argument to that the film makes about like if she truly believes that and if that brings her happiness you know what what's the you know what's the fault what's in the that? harm what's, what's the harm in that yeah. exactly but then he looks at it in a way that that as almost like an insult to his sensibilities because he feels that his daughter is just dead and gone there's this great right. moment where where they're like where he's just like screams at her of like my daughter is dead, and in a way that like even though in the universe of the film it makes it clear that these paranormal things exist, you still identify with with Donald Sutherland in that moment because of like how you you understand that you understand that like you know it's it's an interesting situation that it brings up because you can identify with both of those characters in a way right that would make and like, I think what's, that what's happens... the harm in that but then at the same time you understand that it could come across as uh, as an insult to him to his sense to the way that he's dealing with that grief of like the idea of like yes it, she's like my like of his daughter is like just gone and it kind of insults right. that in a way that like, you can see that but I like that because Rogue and Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, they achieve that 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 balance and it works in the movie so effectively because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I love this movie couple. Like, I, mm-hmm. I yeah. believe in them. And even though I really like the performances in something like Antichrist, it's a little bit more of a strain to believe them as an actual, like, living couple because they sort of represent these things these other thematic things but mm-hmm. in don't look now nick rogue can deal with the supernatural in the way that octa is like so perfectly articulated are articulated and he does it in the way where it feels real and natural so the relationship feels real and natural like i man i buy them as a couple and it's not just the sex scene which is really well done but it's it's all of it it's their it's their cute little interactions like she she notices toothpaste under his lip and he tells her to lick it off like that's intimacy. That's a couple that I you and it makes it just makes the movie so much more tragic and you feel everything so much more. This is a movie that can operate like on the brain level, but also the heart level so effectively. And um, it's just so well balanced in that way. And I think that that was like one of the main I mean, they just they they just knew where the heart of this movie existed and, mm-hmm. and they just nail it. It's it's just you feel it so much because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something I th- I wanted to bring up is uh, because we're kind of nearing the end and uh, the the ending. Octa, you kind of just blew, blew my mind a little bit. I feel a little dumb, but I'm going to ask because this movie's been out for 40 plus years. So, you know, the big, fairly famous ending. Some people might know the ending of this movie without even seeing it. I, I mm-hmm. did. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's one of, that, that, some... one of those that always pops up in like the 20 best, best twist endings twist. and whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
Right. It's so, also okay. very referential in Cronenberg's uh, The Brood, also. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Good point. Good point. Um, also, go. highly influential, uh, Nicholas Rogue is to uh, a filmmaker we've talked about on this podcast. Ben Wheatley is a huge Nick Rogue oh, yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can really see that. the influence even in his upcoming movie that I didn't like very much, High Rise. Uh, very much a Nick Rogue mm-hmm. inspir- inspired movie. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, the ending of this movie, you guys. Like, so, Octave, you it, it is the. Dw- dwarf woman that's how she's credited is she the killer that like killed the woman that they find in the middle of the movie then I this is just a so. serial is that what the movie's saying at the end because i always here's how i took it and i don't think that this has ever been wholly satisfying but i always saw that the dwarf was more like metaphorical like a representation of his grief that killed him but mm. then again how did he actually die he died yeah, exactly no no the, the uh the the, so the woman the killer it, yeah. exists it's like the shining oh. thing. It's like, yeah, you can make an argument towards like, is he going crazy or whatever? But it's like, it's it's made pretty clear by Nicholas Rogue and the the writer of the short story, and you know that that and also actually Julie Christie uh, almost didn't make the film. It's in one of the extras and on the on the Criterion Blu-ray because she objected to um, oh, ha- right. having you know she objected to having like someone who's a little person you know who's already like disenfranchised to be. Uh, shown as like, like a killer uh so she kind right, of objected to vilify to it or whatever to vilify right. it so yeah it's like that that was there so um i'm not sure if that same you know in, in a completely plot related like the as far as the serial killer plot goes which which just like ryan said it's just like in in, in another movie like the way that it's like these horror elements are downplayed in another more straightforward horror movie the serial killer elements would have been like the forefront instead of the right. subplot but they're like they're they're, they're just like gradually like introduced in, a, in an incredibly seamless way and um so yeah I, I looked at it as like on a plot perspective that yeah this little woman like psychotic little woman or whatever was like killing all these people and then ended up killing donald sutherland and just coincidentally wears the same red coat as his, his I, daughter I, I guess that's I that's guess, what gets him that, to that, chase her yeah, yeah that goes back to the premonition of like of what right. he saw he thinks the premonition right. was about her daughter's death, but I guess in the end it's shown that the premonition was about actually his death because the right the, and that's a... because the, the the photo that he's looking at is uh, yes. from the church that he's renovating in Venice. So right. you can you can in the beginning the, of the movie, yeah, you can come to the conclusion that the the figure in the red hood that he's looking at in the photo is the killer. Right, that, that's right. in the photo, and the red blood that like smears across the photo is not about his daughter wearing the red coat. It's about the killer wearing the red coat, and uh, like after his daughter dies, the whole the supernatural plot is about his daughter constantly trying to warn him to leave Venice right, that he's gonna that he's gonna die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, oh man, like, all all of that kind of so, like comes together. So it's like yes, it's silly so to have levels. like a. It's 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 on a, on a plot perspective, on a surface perspective, it's kind of silly to have like a deformed, uh, not not really deformed, but like an old little person as the killer wearing a red hood or whatever. But uh, but the way that all of those elements come together, it just like makes it all worth it to me. Plus plus she's cre- creepy as fuck. I oh, mean yeah, I understand yeah. no, why. That's, that's I understand what I mean why by Julie... the surface level. Yeah. Like, of, right. Yeah. It, it's and it's all, interesting that. Yeah. Uh, Donald Sutherland, I think on that same thing, had he had hesitations for the movie, too, because he thought, here's a story about a guy who has, like, extra sensory abilities. Like, he can see past, present, and future kind of merged. Like, 
that happens throughout the movie, right? His perspective is he's seen the merging of past, present, and, and the the present, and all that stuff. He's going through that. Like he he disagreed that the character should essentially die because of that. He thought he should benefit from it, but then Nick Rogue convinced him that like, yeah. no, this is the story we're making, and he like yeah. convinced him. And it's yeah. it. I just think it shows the power of a director like Nicholas Rogue to like let two very famous big actors in his weird little arty horror movie. Yet it they make it feel bigger, and everybody compliments each other, yeah. even though he had to kind of convince them of what his vision yeah, was. I, see, I totally uh, see where, where Donald Sutherland is coming from, but at the same time, I have absolutely no. I mean, the, the ending is perfect, mainly because of the way that the character is set up because the whole point of it is that his the way that he deals with his grief through just only rational means that he doesn't take his own advice at heart of what he says at the beginning of you know I guess we never really know anything that that's the thing that like blocks him from I feel like sensing the danger that's coming because he doesn't believe in it so yeah I mean and and then finally when it happens I feel like the, the flashback of like all these images that like flood through his mind is the stuff that just like finally makes him see what's going right. on and in a way that it like makes Julie Christie see because they, then you have that ending where you the funeral and then she has like a smile on her face of like, like a kind right. of like the same thing of like the psychic sister who's saying like don't be upset your 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 dead ones are happy uh, kind of thing and it's it's a it's yeah it's a it's 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 very touching. A beautiful yet creepy and effective horror ending at the same time. I don't know, Ryan. So many layers. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, what do you think about all that? Uh, I mean, no, I think it's I think it's great. I I never really made any sort of connection. Um, I guess to what it all meant necessarily, other than you know, I I sort of just enjoyed it on the pure shock value. What the hell just happened, sort of thing. Right. Uh, well, and it uh, works on that level too. It really it does. does. It, I mean, it works that's, on a, that's yeah. why. That's why. Like when you bring up like, oh, the the little person's creepy, or like how effective the opening is, and all that stuff. You can watch this movie completely on the surface level as a really well made, kind of cerebral horror film. In the vein yeah. of like, I feel like this film is timely now because of like this. There's this resurgence of horror horror films, indie horror films that focus on mood and overall uh, atmosphere over uh, you know jump scares and effects and all that stuff that I feel like this is like mm. a very good like kind of starting point for that kind of style um, that I feel the like, art house horror that yeah the art, the art house yeah. horror I feel like people who are into that recently uh, films yeah. like I guess The Witch I still haven't seen it but I guess that's that's kind of like that uh, like that kind of yeah, slow burn thematic uh, moody and it's a film that, that man, I mean that goes back to like how genius Nicholas Rogue is as a cinematographer, but it's a film that manages to make one of the most beautiful and romantic cities in the world like look truly scary. <laughs> and depressing, yeah. And depressing. Totally. Yeah. Well, what do you say? What do you say, guys? I think we've uh, we've gushed enough about Don't Look yeah. Now, and you know, you guys got your hatred in on Antichrist. What do you say? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I'd say let's do it. Yeah, let's cool. Do it. All right. Well, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, there, there you go. You can find both of these films are available on beautiful Criterion Blu-rays, both of them streaming on Hulu Plus. And we also recommend, you know, dig into uh, if you're if you're inclined, dig into the earlier Lars von Trier. Yes. Before you before if you're going to watch Antichrist, d- do some research before you get yeah. to that cut, one. Cut it uh, off. With, uh, start out. Yeah. Cut it off. A dancer in the dark, I would say. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, yeah. cut it off. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, no. And then, <laughs> and then, don't look now. Uh, the same deal. Dig into Nicholas Rogue. He's an amazing yep. filmmaker. You will see stuff that you probably have liked in modern movies based from this guy's work. So, yeah, uh, great episode as usual, guys. Uh, this has been number forty-five of Over Under Movies. You can find us on the playlist, which is on the uh, IndieWire blog network. It's on the playlist podcast iTunes feed first and foremost, and then of course you'll be finding it on uh, the 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 original Over Unders uh, Over Under Movies iTunes feed. Mm-hmm. You will find it there uh, eventually. But if you want to get them first, go to the playlist podcast. Yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, with that, um, before we sign off properly, I'm going to announce my picks for the mm. next show. So uh, maybe the listeners, if you're so inclined, you can see the movies in advance, or just be prepared to either hate me or hate us or love us on these picks. Um, they are going to be it's a, it's an Evil Dead showdown. Uh, it's going to be yes, I can't Evil wait. Dead night. Yeah, Evil Dead 1981 and Evil Dead the remake from 2013. I'm I'm saying the remake's better the remake's better so it's yeah. my underrated and the overrated is the original evil dead so uh well let's just let's just leave some some people are going to be bad i think but uh it's gonna i'm be sure a that's going to happen but you know it's going to be interesting and i'm i'm really looking forward to it so so yeah that should uh hopefully you know uh, if you're interested you know if you want to catch up with those films again you know the 1981 original i guess it's a it's a the evil dead versus evil dead without the the showdown right uh, right <laughs> so the 1981 original sam raimi the evil dead and versus uh for for overrated and then the uh the 2013 uh evil dead remake for underrated so uh check those yeah. out before the episode if you'd like to you know join uh be refresh them those films in your mind Yep, and we'll be seeing you in uh, probably a couple weeks with that one. Uh, So with that, I'm signing off. Eric McClanahan, film critic for The Playlist, uh, podcast editor for The Playlist. Uh, I also write for Oregon Arts Watch, and uh, my other podcast is Adjust Your Tracking. Signing off is Ryan Oliver. I co-host another genre-specific podcast called Unspooled Real. Hey, this is Octavia Kozak. I'm a film critic for The Playlist. Uh, the Oregon Herald, DVD Talk, and BayOfSpider.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at OverUnderMovies and on Facebook.com slash OverUnderMovies. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.